0: from Walt Whitman's Leaves of Grass. When I heard the learned astronomer, when the proofs, the figures, were ranged in columns before me, when I was shown the charts and the diagrams to add, divide, and measure them, when I, sitting, heard the astronomer where he lectured with much applause in the lecture hall, How soon, unaccountable, I became tired and sick, till rising and gliding out, I wandered off by myself in the mystical, moist night air, and from time to time looked up in perfect silence at the stars.
1: What she was worth yesterday Today she is worth Exactly what she was worth A year ago Today she is worth Exactly what she was worth At creation mean property values. I don't mean taxable assets. I mean milkweed and copper moss. Zigzag Line of Profit or Panic Zigzag Line of Profit Christian.
0: so i'm not i'm not going to start in the meadow not yet but we're coming back to the meadow so hold on hold on to those images of milkweed and honeybees of extravagance keep those images nearby because we're coming back I don't know if I've told you all before. Uh, you may not know this about me, but I do not write my sermons with a loaded pistol on my desk. I don't. I don't know if some of you thought maybe I did, but I just want to make sure that you know that I don't. But a man named Theodore Parker did. And Theodore Parker is one of our liberal religious ancestors, one of our liberal religious forebears. And for a time, he wrote sermons with a loaded pistol on his desk. It was 1850 and the United States Congress had passed the Fugitive Slave Law. Some of you may recall that this law allowed slave owners to capture and take back former slaves that were in free states. This law also required citizens in free states to assist in the recovery of fugitive slaves. Theodore Parker lived in Boston at this time in 1850, and there were a number of former slaves in his congregation. And after this law passed, it was not uncommon for those who supported slavery to plan to pull off a high-profile capture of a fugitive slave. Groups of, of uh, g- gangs, really, of slave catchers would come up from the south, from Georgia and other states, to have a high-profile capture of former slaves. Theodore Parker, deeply rooted in our faith tradition as a Unitarian, he worked with others to form a committee on vigilance in order to protect these former slaves, these free slaves, and to fight the fugitive slave law, and ultimately to abolish slavery. And Parker made the decision to harbor in his home former slaves. By doing this, Theodore Parker risked being fined $1,000 and spending six months in jail. But this didn't stop him. In Parker's own words, I will help a fugitive slave as readily as I would lift a man out of the water or snatch him from the hands of a murderer. What is a fine of $1,000 or jail for six months to the liberty of a man or a woman? My money perish with me if it stand between me and the eternal law of God. You need to understand that Theodore Parker took some serious heat from his Unitarian colleagues around this issue. He was already kind of an outcast among the Unitarians in Boston at that time. They were already, his colleagues were already concerned about the gospel he was preaching Preaching about his understanding of Jesus. He argued that Jesus' teachings, the truth of those teachings, did not rely on his divinity or did not, were not, didn't have to be true because the miracles were true. The, the teachings were true because they were good teachings, divinity, and miracles aside. Parker was deeply influenced by Ralph Waldo Emerson as well, sort of thinking beyond the Bible. And so now... Already challenging his Unitarian colleagues, he took this stand, actively protecting former slaves. And his Unitarian colleagues criticized for him for breaking the law. And this was at a time, also understand, that at this point only the Quakers and the Universalists had taken sort of formal stands against slavery. The rest of the religious community was either silent or tacitly supporting, or in some cases, actually supporting slavery. It was risky business to do this. And to this criticism, Theodore Parker said this. It is true. I have black men and women fugitive slaves in my church. They are, in fact, the crown of my apostleship, the seal of my ministry. This fugitive slave law has brought us into the most intimate connection with the sin of slavery. I have been obliged to take my own parishioners into my house to keep them out of the clutches of the kidnappers. And to his Unitarian colleagues, he said, Yes, gentlemen, I have been obliged to do that, to take them into my house, then to keep my doors guarded by day as well as by night. Yes, I have had to protect and arm myself. I have written my sermons with a pistol on my desk loaded and ready for action. This I have done in Boston, in the middle of the 19th century, been obliged to do it to defend the innocent members of my church, women as well as men. It's worth noting that none of the people Parker protected were ever captured by slave catchers. It's also worth noting that Theodore Parker never used that loaded pistol on his desk. And I'm not convinced, honestly, that that's the best way to go as we go about social justice work (laughs) in the world, a loaded pistol. But it tells you something about the moral compass of Theodore Parker, the willingness he had to listen to his conscience. It's clear to me that Theodore Parker had a vision of the world, A sense of the eternal law of God, as he called it. And he was willing to support that law, God's law, with everything he had. His finances, his body, his reputation among his colleagues. My money perish with me if it stand between me and the eternal law of God. Although that line is powerful, it's not his most famous one. And so I want to take a minute to share with you some other lines from Theodore Parker to help you understand the force he has been in America. You might recognize this one from an 1850 speech when Parker said, a democracy of all the people, by all the people, for all the people, which of course later influenced Lincoln in his address. And in a sermon in 1853, Parker declared, I do not pretend to understand the moral universe. The arc is a long one. My eye reaches but little ways. I cannot calculate the curve and complete the figure by experience of sight. I can divine it by conscience. And from what I see, I am sure it bends toward justice. And as you know, Dr. Martin Luther King reworked that very simply to say, the moral arc of the universe is long, but it bends toward justice. So I share that with you so you understand that Theodore Parker's thoughts about democracy, about justice, those are with us today, part of the story of this country. And although it's not as well known... I love the power of this quote. My money perish if it stand between me and the eternal law of God. And that's what I want to dig into today, that eternal law of God. And to do that, to do that, we have to go back to the meadow. Thank you for holding the meadow, right? You're you're holding the meadow tenderly. We're going back to the meadow, to that poem and that song, The Meadow Does Not Know. it's in your order of worship and I'll read it again so we can hear these words the meadow doesn't know about the stock market today she is worth exactly what she was worth yesterday a year ago at creation I don't mean property value taxable assets I mean milkweed and copper vetch king snakes meadow life is not money What rises and falls here are stems and flowers, leaves and fruit, no zigzag line of profit and panic, but the great wheel turning. Here God gives of her extravagance, and here, like Flicker, Viceroy, Dragonfly, we come into our inheritance. If you're new with us today or maybe you've been here a little while, you may be thinking what kind of sacred text is this? Perhaps you are wondering what kind of church talks about meadows and God's extravagance, her extravagance. Well, we are. Because we are a faith community that believes there is wisdom to be found all over this world in all kinds of traditions. The Bible, yes, of course, but Eastern traditions in nature, in poetry, in song, in each human being. Even in cell phones. (laughs) That was actually a really, that was a good ring. I mean, it kind of, like a meditation bell like bringing me back to the moment here. So let's just all be in the meadow again and hold on to the milkweed and the king snakes and the copper vetch and this amazing inheritance that we awaken to in that space. Because that poem does point to something deep and profound, something beyond the world of profit and panic, something eternal, I believe. There's a religious vision In that poem, it begins with the idea that the meadow, and I would say all of us human beings, have the same value we did yesterday, have the same value we did a year ago, have the same value we had at creation. That's a religious vision, and it points to a remarkably inclusive and generous gospel, and dare I say it, a universalist gospel. A gospel. And remember, if you're thrown off by that word, gospel just means good news. It just means the good news. So it is a gospel of good news. It is good news that says the whole creation, each person, each creature, each plant, everything has intrinsic, timeless value. We are all made of stardust, of God dust, the stuff of life. We all come from the same source have the same divine imprint on our hearts, if you will. And here's the religious part. Our value comes from that. Our value comes from the fact that all of it, all of creation has that same imprint from that source on it. Our value does not fluctuate with our success, with our failures, with our wealth or our poverty, whether we are popular or unknown. Our true value doesn't come from taxable assets or what we produce or consume. Our true value is more than our money and our job titles. Are you with me? Are you with me in this gospel? This is a radical good news message of unconditional love, of unconditional inclusion. And I think that the meadow, nature more broadly, can wake us up. To that gospel, to that good news. In the meadow, in the natural world, we see that God gives of her extravagance. And like flicker and viceroy, dragonfly, we come into our inheritance. Dirt, soil, sun, water, life. It's a miracle, a gift. It's our inheritance. And when we become aware of the gift, we see that our holy work is to ensure that all life can flourish and thrive, that all life comes into its inheritance. So I have to believe, friends, I have to believe that Theodore Parker had a vision of the meadow, of this deeper reality, when he said, my money perish if it stand between me and the eternal law of God that eternal law that says all belong, all are valued. So there's something else about Theodore Parker I haven't told you yet, which is important to understand the full context of this story. And that is one spring day when Theodore Parker was about four years old, he was walking alone near his farmhouse, Uh, by a pond on his way back to the house, and he was uh, right by this pond, he had a stick in his hand, and he saw this turtle sunning right on the edge of the pond, right where the grass sort of met the edge of the pond, and he had the stick in his hand. He'd seen other boys, you know, hitting animals and hitting sticks, and so he lifted his stick to hit this turtle, but something, he tells, stopped his arm, prevented him from striking the turtle, and a voice within him said, It is wrong. Theodore Parker held the stick in the air, and he wondered at this new emotion, this new feeling that was with him. Then he ran home, and he told this story to his mother. What was it that told me it was wrong, he said. And his mother took him in her arms, and she said, Some people call it conscience. I like to call it the voice of God in the soul of people. If you listen and obey it, then it will speak clearer and clearer and always guide you right. But if you turn a deaf ear or disobey, she said, then it will fade out little by little and leave you all in the dark and without a guide. Your life depends on your heeding this little voice. So I have to believe that Theodore Parker had a vision of the meadow, that this voice of God in his soul had been guiding him for years when he essentially said, slavery is wrong, and my money perished if it stands between me and the truth that all creation matters, that this extravagant, abundant life is meant for everyone. For black and white, for brown, for male, for female, for young and old, for homosexual, for straight. Find me if you must, but my money perish if it stands between me and God's or love's eternal law. On a deeper level, Theodore Parker was pointing to the fact that our money must serve our deepest intuitions and moral sentiments. Our money must serve the flourishing of life itself or else we will destroy what truly matters. We will destroy the meadows and the systems that sustain us. We will destroy one another failing to see each other as brother and sister. Are you still with me? Are you still with me? You're you're tracking because there's one more step I want to take here. There's one more step, because this is all really good, and I'm awed when I think about Theodore Parker and his courage and the loaded pistol on his desk when he writes sermons. I have, like my smartphone, right? Like, I mean, that's what I have next to me when I'm writing, trying to stay abreast of what's going on and how I can respond and be faithful in this world, but I'm inspired by Theodore Parker, and there's a piece of this now that I want to talk about as it relates to me and you and all of us as a faith community. Like how we actually get our lives in line with meadow vision, with love's vision, with God's eternal law, if you want to use that language. I think it's actually really simple. But like all deep truths, it's complicated. So it's simple and complicated, but the simple part of it is this. We commit to showing up here and being part of this faith community. We practice in small groups and deep listening on Sunday mornings. We practice becoming love's people in the world. When we come here, we are reminded and we remember, as the Reverend Victoria Weinstein says, that the church exists to help us question cultural norms, to help us want the right things, to hunger for thirst and justice, to make us uncomfortable with the gap between our professed ideals and our actions. We remember when we come here that the church claims Exists to claim us, to make us brothers and sisters of one another, lovers of the world, workers on behalf of the kingdom of equals. And when people ask, Who is teaching you to be like this? we can respond, It's my faith community. It's this place I practice and show up at. It's a lot of inner work, a lot of thinking and reflecting and talking with people about how to be, and it's expensive. I give my church a lot of my time and my money, but it is really working a miracle in my life as I devote myself to religious practice and community. It's practice. It's the space we have here every Sunday in that silence to listen to that still, small voice. So if we want to align ourselves with Meadow Law or Love's Law, we show up and we listen so that we are never alone in the dark without a guide. We listen individually and collectively to that still small voice, to the spirit of life, to God's voice within us. We listen and we remember that our inheritance is love. We remember that it is love that cast us into being, love that connects us to the milkweeds and the honeybees. It is that love, that same love that knows nothing of property values and taxable assets. It is that same love That asks us to love the creation and its people. And frankly, in a stock market world, that's risky business, that universalist gospel of love. And our best assets as people of faith, and they are not taxable, friends, our best assets as people of faith are forgiveness and reconciliation, generosity and love. Indeed, we can light this world up with our love. May it be so. And amen.